Open the bracket, it's time for All Squared. Welcome to this first episode of our new podcast, All Squared. Um, I'm Christian Perfect, and you just heard Katie Steckles. And what we're going to do with this podcast is do a bit of a, a mishmash magazine type thing um, with a bit of news, a bit of discussion, some interviews with interesting people, and then some puzzles and other interesting stuff, all on a sort of mathematical topic. In this edition of the podcast, we'll be talking to mathematician Edmund Harris about talking about maths. Uh, we're going to play a topological flash game, and we're going to set you a puzzle very, very quickly. So we're now joined by uh, Edmund Harris, who's a mathematician currently resident in America, but um, a citizen of this fine land. Um, he's a geometer. He runs a blog called Maxwell's Demon, where he posts all sorts of really interesting things um, about maths, and he has quite an interest in maths culture, I think is a good way of describing it. Uh, so hello, Edmund. Hello. So you've written a blog post about mathematics out loud yeah well I've I'm now for the second time teaching a, a course where I use improv drama techniques to help um, do communication with with math majors and within that context I was thinking about how um, the aspects of performance in mathematics and how we certainly have a lot of performance we we give lectures on the other hand we have written mathematics but we don't ever take the written mathematics and simply read it out loud. And on the other hand, there's plenty of great writers who, who write mathematics. We're, we're pretty well gifted for some, some very able writers. And the act of reading something out loud is um, changes the, the, the power of it. And I say in the blog post that I have always um, try, I tried for a long time to get into the poem Paradise Lost, uh, Milton's great English work, and I, it wasn't until following the suggestion of Philip Pullman that I, I read it out loud that it started to, to, to mean something to me. I'm not sure that, I mean, obviously poetry is really written expressly to be read out loud, and so there's a difference there, but the act of reading out loud is a powerful one. And as you mentioned, um, mathematics culture. I think it's also a way of sort of looking back and seeing the culture of, of mathematics of more than just the mathematics and recognizing the people who wrote it and the, the ways it can be expressed and, and thinking about things in, in a deeper sense. So Katie, you've also been thinking about this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw this blog post and I just thought that is exactly what I've been thinking about, essentially, partly because we started this podcast, the idea that as a podcast you're limited to things that you can convey using audio or using speech and that if we are going to try and talk about maths it's going to be difficult to express maths in this context because of many of the things that Edmund's just said that maths is is kind of um it's a written language you know it's got symbols and it's got lots and lots of diagrams to make things clearer and as a podcast uh, you know, we can we can direct people to links where they can go and look at pictures that will explain what we're talking about or to to other websites where things are written down. But in terms of actually speaking, conveying maths is going to be a bit of a challenge. And I was thinking about this. And one of the ideas that I had was to talk about uh, proofs of Pythagoras's theorem, because, of course, there are, this is one of the most 
possibly one of the most proved results in the whole of mathematics. There are over 300 proofs of it. So I think someone's done a book with like 390 proofs in it. And I guess since that's a book, they will all be written down. But it interested me to wonder whether it would be possible to prove Pythagoras' theorem uh, in using the spoken word. Um, so I've, I've kind of got one ready. Would you like me to attempt to prove Pythagoras' theorem for you? Yes, please give it a go. I'm ready to be convinced. Okay, so imagine a triangle. Uh, it's a right-angle triangle, and it has sides A and B and hypotenuse C. Okay? okay? Now, imagine a square sitting on the hypotenuse of side C, and you should be able to add in three more triangles identical to your existing triangle with their C-length sides, their hypotenuse is touching the square, and you can actually arrange those so that they make one large square which is rotated slightly from your original square. Okay? This larger square will have side length A plus B, because each of its sides will be made up of one short side, one A side of the triangle, and one B side. I'm assuming there that A is the short side, but either way, one A side and one B side. So the side of the big square will be A plus B, um, and the area of that will therefore be A plus B all squared. Um, and A plus B all squared is A squared plus B squared plus 2AB. And then all you have to do is look at the difference between that larger square and the smaller square, which is of side C, and that will be the area of the four triangles that you've added in. Each of those triangles has area half AB, because the area of a triangle is half times the base times the height, and since A and B are two perpendicular sides, that will be the base and the height. Um, and there are four triangles, which totals half AB times four is 2AB. So then the area of the whole square minus 2AB gives A squared plus B squared, and that equals the central square, which was C squared, UED, I guess. Uh, so I, I had a look at this proof. It's quite, it's quite, it's one of the simple kind of geometric proofs, and I've tried there to explain it using some words. And I also then found a poem on a website which, which basically explains that exact proof, but very concisely. Uh, and as you say, poems are designed to be read out, so I'll read this one out. It's quite short. It says... To prove Pythagoras was right, with newfound ease and much delight, let's say hypotenuse is C, with one leg A and t'other B. On C we draw a square with pride, then triangles on every side. The square of A plus B, you see, is C squared plus two times AB. Equate and cancel two AB, and we have reached the QED. So I thought that was quite neat. It sort of expresses that same thing uh, in a much more concise way. That's from uh, a website of mathematical poems and songs, which is, I think it's called Mr. P's Math Page. Uh, and we'll put a link to that somewhere. Or else you can go to bit.ly slash mathspoems. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash mathspoems. Okay. So, uh, Edmund, were you convinced by that proof? Could you follow it? Um, I think I had some glowing shapes of in front of me that were yeah. a little hard to track. Uh, geometry is probably the, uh, I mean, Pythagoras' theorem is a good thing to choose because of the point of the number of proofs, but it does come from geometry, which is probably one of the hardest things to do purely uh, in a linear manner. Um, but I think that's a, a nice example. I think one, one interesting thing here is that that obviously was out loud, but not reading out loud. And there's an aspect of really considering the words and instead of just um, speaking as it comes to you, presenting a, a well-prepared set of words. And especially for a task like this where the, the choice of words has, has to be very precise, an actual reading might be a uh, give an interesting uh, version 
rather than our normal style, which is to stand up in a lecture with have some notes on what's going to be said, but really just saying it as it, it occurs. So was the poem version more like that? Well, obviously, the, yeah, the poem had a lot more thought into the things and, and perhaps was a lot more um, concise in that. How clear it was, I think I'd need to read it a couple of times. Um, yeah, it, it sort of went along a bit too quickly to follow, didn't it? Uh, yeah. And that is another thing to, to say in this, that when you read mathematics, we rarely do it in a completely linear manner. Um, but the point here is that um, we're enjoying the, the sound and the words as, as much as the, the meaning. And in mathematics, we tend to almost fetishize the meaning. Well, we can step back and just think about how the words um, work and, and, and the, the sound of it and just the style of the writing as, you know, to appreciate that broader culture. And the advantage with the poem is it might be not, it's not so hard to memorize. And once you have it memorized, you can then in your head, without needing the, the text in front of you, go back and forth in that way. So there's some interesting options to, opportunities to play around. So saying that about making it easier to memorize, this must have been the kind of thing that people did, um, at very least before printing or, I don't know, Iron Age, ages ago. People used to just memorize things rather than have them written down. Do you think maybe maths used to be like this, where someone would deliver oratory and everyone would just keep it in their heads from listening? I think generally there was a lot of, uh, there's always been a lot of drawing involved. Um, my understanding of the Greek style was there was a lot of drawing in the sand, but presumably the stuff had to be memorized. Um, but I guess Euclid's Elements is, after all, one of the oldest written documents we have. So mathematics in it has a, has a written culture that goes back as as far as we really know anything about it. I can't imagine when I think about the kind of early Greek mathematicians, certainly I mean, even Pythagoras himself talking about it, but kind of having a very kind of reverent attitude to it. You would kind of treat it as like somebody's performing some maths, uh, almost. If someone's got a, a really nice result of maths that they want to share with everyone, they would almost do it as kind of a performance, which sort of, to me, th seems a bit like poetry. I don't know. And with the um, those competitions they used to have in Italy, where they had challenges to prove things, those ones like factoring polynomials, do you think those might have gone... They were very performative, weren't they? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know the the exact nature of the drama, and that's an interesting point. I mean, I think something that's worth bringing up is that we have some mathematics books that are, uh, or, or books related to, to mathematics that are written as dialogue. And Galileo is an obvious example. Some of his writing was done in the form of a in the form of a dialogue. And there's also the Surreal Numbers by I Donald Knuth, and that you know it's sort of written as a dialogue. And so there's a there's a there is a far greater sense of this is a, a spoken or a communicative, you know, a, not just a read document. And I believe that Benyi had a had a collection of, of dialogues on mathematics as well. So this this is not uh, um, you know there's not nothing new in this this idea. <laughs> it's just uh, getting a, a a new lease on this old old classic. Okay. So what I'd like to do now is, as a bit of contrast, I'm going to show you two a proof without words. Um, because there's been a bit of uh, I don't know, interest in that in the past on the internet. You can uh, share pictures of proofs. Um, so we're going to see how it, how it goes. I'm going to try and prove a statement to you without using any words. You can both see my um, what I'm drawing here. 
Okay. I can see, yep. Okay, there we go. And now I am ready to prove my fact. Here we go. This is incredibly compelling for all the podcast listeners. Okay, so there's a statement of the result. That's reasonable. You'd be pleased to hear it's not from geometry. And of course, we will make a YouTube video of this available. Uh, we're recording this, so you should be able to see this uh, proof being hand-drawn uh, for your very selves. Uh, oh, wow. Actually hear the uh, the scratching of Christian's graphics tablet as he's drawing, so it's kind of a bit interactive for the listeners, but not quite. Okay. Okay, so I see, yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, this is good. This is good. Oh, I like it. That's good. It's it's getting to the point where it's quite fiddly to draw now. Um, but if you, yeah. if you draw dot, dot, dot at this point, I'm sure we'll... Uh, oh, oh, yeah, he's drawing in a dotted line. I think that pretty much proves that result. Oh, I like that. Good. Yeah. Ta-da. Excellent. Super. So we've learned something, but the <laughs> podcast listener has not. So... Um, we'll now get back to the uh, discussion. Yeah, we'll get back to words without proofs. Yes. So on on your blog post, Edwin, you've you've posed a question, and do you want to tell us about that? Well, given this uh, this idea that we can read out mathematics, then the question is what what should be read out? Um, and a couple of people who who spring immediately to mind are John Conway and I had the privilege to be in the room when, when Conway was writing a paper and basically he was speaking and his the, the, the person he was writing with was desperately scribbling the words down and I, I hear that often that's you know the, what Conway says is more or less the the final paper with very little editing and so I think I'm sure within his writings that there are some things that should will just bear reading out loud straight uh, you know but dealing with very advanced mathematical ideas um, Obviously, well, it does remind me of a story about uh, Conway's book, uh, Sphere Packings, Lattices and Groups, which was one reviewer said, this is the Bible of the subject and like the Bible does not contain many proofs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think so. He, he would be an, a great one. The other, the other person who I think springs to mind, I've mentioned already, is Donald Knuth. Um, the art of computer programming is one of the most beautiful bits of writing um, in the English language. I, you know, I, I really make that very strong claim, um, not just mathematical writing, but writing. Um, and it's then a question of finding that the chunks where, where the way you gloss over the, the symbolic mathematics and the way you deal with that doesn't take too much away from that, that beauty. And so the, the question is, you know, to, to everyone listening, if you, if you were forced at gunpoint to read some academic mathematics and so you had to choose something and you wanted to choose it as beautiful as possible what what would you choose so that's the real challenge um and i guess then there's a lesser one which is just you know actually going out and finding these these mathematical poems there's a lovely little equation that can be rendered as a um, limerick and some other options and and actually taking those and you know, reading them in places where people read out loud, whether it's poetry competitions or, or, or other things, to, to make the point that this language culture is something that mathematics is, has a part in. 
That's fantastic. So hopefully you will get some answers to your question. If anyone wants to have a look at Edmund's blog post, it can be seen at bit.ly slash maths out loud. So that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash maths out loud. And yeah, I mean, in the interests of encouraging that type of behaviour, uh, if anyone does have any kind of short clips of themselves reading out bits of maths, you know, just, just lying around, or if you're willing to generate any using some kind of recording device, then please do let us know, because we may well even be able to compile a, sh- a selection of them into uh, the next edition of this podcast, uh, whenever that might be. You know, maybe a, a proof of Pythagoras that you prefer to the one that I did, or any other result that's not in geometry, maybe that maybe is slightly easier to communicate with words. If you can um, guess what I was proving and say it in words, that, that would <laughs> ooh, be amazing. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Um, so please do get in touch with that. And please do check out the blog post and, of course, send Edmund any ideas or recommendations that you've had, because this is something I'd really like to see more. Uh, I'd love, love to see a follow up post from Edmund saying, oh, here are all the wonderful things that people suggested. And then, of course, at the, the first inaugural Reading Maths Out Loud conference that clearly is going to result from this, uh, we can read some of those out. And I think also if we get some really splendid things to read out, attempting to get the interest of some people who have very uh, good performance uh, abilities, whether just drama majors in a, in a university or more famous people, might be a, might be an interesting challenge. Yeah, certainly. I, I think you mentioned uh, uh, you mentioned maybe getting Stephen Fry to read some stuff out, and I, I would totally love to hear it because he's he does a lot of uh, kind of books on tape and reading things because he's got such a lovely kind of fluid voice that's really good at being nice to listen to, I guess. And uh, and I certainly have seen him tweet that he's interested in maths, even if he finds it a little bit scary. So maybe if you could find him some maths that isn't too scary, uh, <laughs> read that out. I don't know. Or pay, maybe find him some maths that is very scary and uh, <laughs> yeah. help, help him deal with his fear. But yeah, no, I think he's also somebody who manages to bridge the, the sort of technical subjects and the humanities subjects in, in a very nice way, for example, with his uh, Linux uh, usage and um, yeah, yeah. for that. Huge supporter of open data and all that kind of stuff. So um, something that has occurred to me, uh, I think, while someone was speaking, was that the way you read out an equation, you have to pay a lot of attention to the timing of things. There is a natural um, beat or meter to things. Like If I say x plus y squared or x plus y squared, Mm. you can tell there's a difference there. And that's something that, for my job, I have to work with getting maths to display on the web and to work with screen readers and things. And I suppose it must be quite a hard challenge to get a screen reader that can do that timing correctly. I think also with, with respect to that, it's getting students to think about how does a, a equation they've written actually parse can help them work out whether it makes sense or not. Also, just the grammatical idea of regarding an equation as a sentence with the equal sign being the verb can can help to parse and cre- create, as you write mathematics, avoiding the problem that a lot of students do have, that the mathematics that they write really doesn't make sense, and help them spot that for themselves and correct their own work rather than relying on the, the uh, teacher or the professor to, to, to big, do a big X and then try and figure it out again. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something I had to think about when I was putting together what I was going to say for my proof of Pythagoras. I mean, not not in a huge way, but I was thinking about A plus B all squared. And as I was typing it out for myself, it was very natural for me to just put some brackets in in a squared symbol. But then I thought, actually, I have to think about what words I'm going to use here and how I'm going to actually say that. 
because um, mathematics has kind of very strict rules about what brackets in particular places mean and what you know what ordering of symbols gives a particular meaning and that yeah that has to translate into the spoken word in a way that is unambiguous are there are there any ambiguities in spoken maths that you can think of what i'm thinking of in written maths is the the whole sine inverse one over sine palaver which uh whether you whether you write sine superscript minus one um for any other function that would mean the inverse function but Oh, I'm, I'm confused myself now. Which way around is it? Sine inverse is the inverse. Sine to minus one is the inverse. Inverse sine, yeah. But for anything else, it would be one over sine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I could put that into words without any trouble at all, couldn't I? I said the inverse function and. Yeah, I think things like bracketing is probably going to be your your biggest nightmare because you you could probably get away with saying x plus y squared, um, but once you've got more than one layer of bracketing on something. You're going to have to do some very careful pausing in the right times in order to express that. Well, that. That's a problem in general spoken English because you have clauses which can be very unclear. Mm. It would be lovely to be able to use brackets to really determine clauses, I think, sometimes. You end but up saying things like, uh, you say like all and all the all that lot squared and the first two minus that thing, so you have to start referring to things by position. Yeah, the, the number of times I've tried to explain a bit of maths that I'm looking at to someone and immediately given up and gone, come and look at this piece of paper. Like, <laughs> just trying to read out a thing and then just realised how much effort it was going to be to communicate it unambiguously and just said, actually, come and look at this piece of paper because that's much easier. I mean, there's also, I've had the experience of teaching blind students and it really does uh, throw you back because it, a lot of the stuff that I rely on is drawing and writing and uh, whether it's just writing the symbols yeah you know, and suddenly having forced to in, into a world where you you can only use words is a very good exercise to uh, you know, so, um that might even be something worth getting students to try and get them to try and explain mathematics to each other blindfold or something <laughs> yeah it's very tempting to make the shape with your hands or or you know just sketch it or whatever yeah yeah but then it is very rare for someone who is blind to get through to becoming a research mathematician isn't it i think there was a i read some stats a while ago it's really rare so is that because the culture isn't accommodating or because maths is a thing that it really is much easier to understand visually i think the culture isn't accommodating but not because it's not considering the issues but because mathematics is about pushing language and communication to to, to its limits in one direction and so you are taking advantage of everything you can with words and everything you can do with, with, with symbols. It's sort of a, a, a cultural problem from the way that mathematics, what mathematics is trying to achieve, if there's a, a, a bias there. Earlier, we were discussing other examples of mathematicians, and I, I said that I was aware that Stephen Hawking, for instance, because he's not able to stand at a blackboard and write mathematics, works largely in theoretical physics uh, and if you know if he were able to write down the mathematics that's a completely different kind of type of physics to what it is that he does uh, but he has a lot of researchers around him that could do the calculations for whatever it is that he comes up with uh, so he does he does kind of quite a lot of theoretical stuff and is quite often proved right but the, the actual calculations he can't necessarily do them himself uh, which i guess is i mean i guess he has trouble communicating in, in many senses, um, but you know he can, in some sense, speak, uh, and that 
is essentially his only way of communicating the physics that he's thinking about. I don't know. Is that connected? I don't know. Yeah, I think possibly. I think it's an interesting area of study, probably beyond our uh, ability to deal with it in this conversation. Uh, I think there's a ha- and just between different mathematicians, ha- I, I suspect that a lot of yeah, there's more than one way uh, that mathematicians conceive of the same mathematics. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there's the the whole synesthesia thing. Yeah. Might be relevant. So that's given us a lot to think about, something that we will definitely need to concentrate on uh, in future episodes. So thank you very much, Edmund, for coming and talking to us about this. I find it very interesting. Thank you. So we also use the internet sometimes, and I recently came across a Flash game, which it's not actually called this, but it reminds me very much of the novel Flatland, which is about a two-dimensional universe and its encounters with three-dimensional things. So if you can imagine like a blackboard on the wall that is the entire universe, how might that blackboard feel if something passed through it from front to back in that third dimension that it doesn't already have? Uh, somebody's made a Flash game in which objects come at you in a sort of two-dimensional way, or kind of they're they're two-dimensional shapes, but you only see one dimension of them, uh, and you have to try and work out what the whole shape is. It is immensely fun. It's hugely addictive. Level 30 is my favourite, I should point out, and we've got a link to it here. It's on Congregate, which is like a a Flash game website, and the game is actually called Z-Rocks or Z-Rocks, um, but I like to call it Flashland because it's a Flash game and it's like Flatland. So we've got um, a link for you, which is bit.ly slash Flashland. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Flashland. Or if you prefer in the World War One Royal Navy phonetic alphabet, that's Butter Ink Tommy full stop London Yellow Oblique Freddy London Apples Sugar Harry London Apples Nuts Duff. Uh, so there you go. That's a, a link you can type into your internet browser. I believe, Christian, you're now going to do for us a puzzle stated as quickly as possible. A quadrilateral in space has all of its edges tangent to a sphere. Prove that the four points of tangency lie on a plane. That's pretty quick. So that's a quick puzzle for you. Um, if you can, you know, feel free to rewind that and see if you can work out the answer to that puzzle. We will attempt to give you some kind of semblance of an answer possibly not that quickly, in the next edition of the podcast. We're not sure how long that will be from now, but do keep your eyes peeled on the periodical for future editions of the podcast. And until then, goodbye. And now it's time to close the bracket. And that's all squared.